synchronicity of the now tonight i may present you jim kinkade from uh, team rabbit hole hello and welcome jim how are you doing aloha i'm doing all right how are you thank you most perfect and yeah today the topic or let's say the permission slip for our talk is team rabbit hole um Let's see how much we would like to talk about our personal histories, which probably will also become part of this show tonight. Um, yeah, Team Rabbit Hole, just to basically dive right into it. Um, what is it? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, we will definitely be getting into our history as you have been uh, a large player in my becoming, if you want to put it that way. But um, I guess as far as Team Rabbit Hole goes, I think a good place to kind of start would, and I'll be brief because it is what it is, um, long story short, back in around 2012, uh, I started waking up in a very particular way, and I don't think that was by happenstance. I think 2012 was kind of an important gateway, whether we're looking at it through a McKenna, um, Terrence McKenna lens, or a Mayan lens, or whatever. Um, but bottom line, at that point, I had just recently gone through a breakup and I was pretty heavily into alcohol and in the rebound of, uh, that relationship around the middle of 2012, maybe August, I, uh, started dating, not really long, uh, kind of hooking up with, but <laughs> things happen for a reason, right? Uh, hanging out with this girl who was basically, um, a, a raver, like a, an acid head, <laughs> And at that point, I hadn't been too into LSD. Um, I had done it once in my youth at a concert and uh, basically walked out of the show all spun and confused. Um, so I had not really fucked around with acid since then, right, LSD. Anyway, this girl turned me on to, um, uh, basically I bought a bunch of hits from her. And uh, we didn't keep hanging out. She was a Pisces. It was kind of an in and out magical thing, right? But... Um, Law, uh, to con basically, I started getting online um, with the zeitgeist and uh, uh, dosed, getting online and talking to people in very random groups, like whether they were Terrence McKenna chat groups or Alan Watts chat groups or whatever, because Facebook was kind of this new portal of uh, basically, sorry if you hear that, I'm near an airport, so I guess a jet is blind, flying by as we speak. Um, it's all, all synchronicity. We hear you uh, right. fine. You can go on word i was like hey, i never hear military jets interesting <laughs> um so anyway uh basically started making posts and i i had done this before but basically um you whatever i felt inspired by um i would try to take a quote and find an image that would resonate with it and it was kind of just sticky notes for the collective if you want to put it that way kind of crumbs hansel and gretel crumbs towards illumination for myself and others. Um, I don't think of myself as any, I, I mean, at best I'm groggy, I'm not woke. Um, so I'm trying to figure things out through others. I have a lot of 11th house energy. If you're into astrology, you know what that means. Um, anyway, so I started making random hashtags and kind of in a trickster mode being online um, and making posts, tagging people and just getting conversations started, hopefully 
uh, inspiring through creative associations, essentially, um, people to ask questions. Um, and so little hashtags like singularity or bust or, you know, Zuckerberged with a D at the end if, like, I was blocked to post and things like that, just little weird kind of tongue-in-cheek hashtags. And at one point, I had made the hashtag Team Rabbit Hole. Um, I think my thinking with it was I'm very much on the wave of unity in terms of we're all in this together. Um, so it's a team effort, whatever consciousness and the exploration therein is. Uh, so, we're, like, we're all in the same boat. Let's figure this out. And then the rabbit hole is, like, how I felt like the internet itself um, and the LSD use at the time, it was weekly. So I was like very much in an afterglow kind of mode. Um, and I figured that that had a very kind of resonant tone to it. And at some point I had a friend um, who was like, Hey, you should make this a page or something to that effect. And because I was just essentially at that point I was posting both like kind of illuminating, beautiful pictures and then also like ratchet, memes that were like totally like new age hipster kind of vibes and not like older people or people who are not on a certain trickster kind of level aren't even going to appreciate those or laugh or whatever um so i kind of made the decision in a way i was like i'll make my personal facebook page the place where i put the inspiring stuff and the team rabbit hole page the stuff where the most like kind of the more petulant trickster tongue-in-cheek things are the more like drug woke memes if you will um and that's kind of how that started. And it's all, it's really just been kind of a locker in a way of memes. Um, the conversations I have mostly and the people that I meet and have the most relationship with, if you want to put it digitally, have been through my personal page. Um, but at, at the same time, there have been a lot of people getting a lot out of uh, the memes, it seems, that I've been posting in the other groups. So that is the long story in a nutshell of what Team Rabbit Hole is. I think I want it to be something more at some point, maybe an auspice for like a network of things, um, kind of like CNN is something, and then there's a bunch of different kind of people underneath that. It would be cool to kind of coordinate it into something more than just a a locker, like a footlocker for memes. Um, but that's how it started, and that's what it is at the moment. So to put it in very simple terms, it's a Facebook meme page. What I found quite interesting is that somehow, of course, obviously, also I was attracted to it. Of course, I haven't retraced right now how we initially connected. The wonders of the internet allow us to recognize again that, at the very least, we if if we are aware of it, uh, we can all be connected. And it's of course pretty interesting what individuals you then stumble upon, right? Definitely. I know how I actually retraced our messages, um, and I vaguely recall kind of the context of our meeting. Um, and just to p touch on the point you made, the internet, in my estimation, is an extension of our nervous system. Like Marshall McLuhan kind of had this idea of technology, like your shoes are your feet, but they're an externalization of technology. Glasses, eyeglasses are your eyes, but they're an externalized technology. The internet is just a next level of that in terms of neuroplasticity uh, being externalized. And there's consequences of that there's a reason we have kind of um or not we particularly but the people in the zeitgeist at the moment have a general anxiety because for the first time in our mammalian history it seems uh we are externalizing our neurological essence outward into a collective space i.e the internet and that is a new kind of weird apprehensive way of knowing things so it's it's kind of like a raw nerve, if you will. Like we're not we're not sure what to make of this, and we're kind of fumbling through it. But uh, 
the beauty of it is we do find like minds in the uh, Tim Leary sense. We find the others, right? So I think in a way it's um, it's the best of times and the worst of times. I think there's things that the internet does that can cause uh, democracies to sh- shrump, you know, quake and shift, uh, whether you're into those kinds of conspiracies or not. Um, there, it's a Trojan horse, so a lot can come in, but at the same time, the beauty of what can happen if people have, uh, I guess, better intentions, if you want to put it that way, is really truly magical. It's um, a part of the age of Aquarius. Uranus rules Aquarius, and Uranus is about, uh, essentially, we discovered Uranus around the time of Tesla. So it has to do with more like revolutions, punctuary events, um, electricity itself. Like when we decided, I guess, depending on one's purview, because I know you have different theories on maybe technology as such. But uh, yeah, basically we're we're in the birth pangs of the new age. And um, that is going to not surprisingly look like something like the Internet. Yeah, and just to basically drive home the point, Team Rabbit Hole, I mean... Uh, some may have an association with it. What were like uh, the main associations that you had or what are the main, let's say, pop culture references that kind of tied in or that also kind of forged you or forged a name or made you choose that name? Um, This is somewhat, I think, representative of my astrological chart. Um, So I'm a double Gemini, Sun and Moon Gemini, uh, Leo rising with... Uh, the sun in the 11th house, which is ruled by Uranus. So uh, 11th house is Aquarius, essentially. So my sun, which is kind of the essence of my being in this kind of paradigm, um, is getting powered by communication and ideas and through technology and groups. So it doesn't surprise me that this happened through me or is happening to me or whatever. Um, it It's very much a natural kind of progression of what i would see reflected in my natal chart which is ironic but i, I don't want to like totally confine my being to that but there's a very real articulation of self through these um lenses called natal chart or the astrological chart um but to get to your question i think uh, so I, i'm very humorous and uh peter pan kind of trickster vibe naturally um so i think when i started eating psychedelics regularly it turned me on to the fact that um I was able to start rewiring uh, not only my perceptions, but uh, I figured that whatever benefits I was getting in terms of depression, um, alcohol being dealt with, like I stopped drinking pretty much, I don't drink now, but that dealt with that demon or whatever, that uh, habit, um, pretty hardcore. And I felt like in a weird way, humor is this kind of subvertive Trojan horse of getting information through if possible. So I don't need to sit around on a soapbox telling people they need to eat LSD. Um, that's even potentially dangerous, you know, legally speaking. Um, and I don't really want to moralize uh, or proselytize, rather, uh, certain perspectives. I'm very much about discussion and communication. So in my estimation, the best way to go forward with that was to create a space where humor was kind of the the spearhead of the whole thing. And basically, I mean, there's... A, you could the first post, the very first post I made on Team Rabbit Hole, if it gives any essence of kind of the direction I wanted to go originally, but it didn't really go, and that's why I kept it on my page, uh, was a Manly P. Hall uh, lecture on the initiation of the pyramid. So I felt that people needed to be getting turned on to higher ideas and maybe occulted and esoteric ideas. Um, that is part of what I think the zeitgeist is demanding, where things that were hidden are now coming to light, the unveiling in the apocalypse term, like the unveiling. So 
Um, in a weird way, I'm just kind of trying to do my part with a smile on my face. And it had kind of, it was generally kind of inspired through Terrence McKenna um, ideas. So there's sometimes memes where they're kind of mocking in a tongue in cheek way, McKenna or mushrooms and stuff. And not mocking, I guess just like putting forward these ideas in a humorous way enough where if someone is maybe tickled at the heart chakra level, their, their guard is down enough to maybe explore these things if they've never looked into them, which is ideal. Um, cause if you just start hearing things like, oh, this guy talks about DMT and machine elves, that might turn off a lot of people immediately. Um, or, you know, eaching and the singularity and all this stuff. So instead of just kind of positing, um, I I found that just the straight information might not be the most, uh, palatable or accessible way of getting this information across. And I found that in a weird way, if I could have kind of, um, like I said, tongue-in-cheek subversion, <laughs> it would go a, a lot further. And uh, there have been some posts, and it's not like I'm making these memes. I'm kind of a curator, if you will. Like, I find that's more my essence. I'm not making a lot of quotes. I'm not going out there saying, I said this. It's more like, oh, Alan Watts said this, and it's beautiful. Or Bashar said this, and it's beautiful. And here's an image that resonates with that. And I hope people can see this on a hyper-contextual, uh, kind of hyper-dimensional level. If not, it's at least entertaining, hopefully. Um, but at best they're getting kind of inadvertent uploads and like kind of nudgings in certain directions. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm all about at least the illusion of free will. I'm not sure how ultimately true it is, but, um, I want people to be finding their illumination on their own terms. And if I can do that through jokes and kind of fucking, uh, you know, conversation, basically I, the, the better I find, um, fascism is stupid so i'm not about that right but at the end of the day i want to find what maybe truth is and uh if it's possible and hear other people's reality tunnels so that's kind of the idea behind team rabbit hole but like i said it hasn't manifested totally the way i'd want my personal page has been more of a reflection of maybe what i'm about um and then team rabbit hole has been this kind of like uh it's almost like um the Bart Simpson zone or something where it's just kind of this attitude and this vibe where it, it, I'm trying to get away with as much as I can while pushing towards illumination in a very uh, non-traditional way. Thank you for that quite uh, succinct and also detailed introduction. If you would agree after this introductory round, I'd play in uh, a short clip, which was my, let's say prime reference when I was, thinking about the idea of Team Rabbit Hole. And after that, there's many different topics, of course, we can branch into, and we'll just see where we flow, if you do agree. Dolphinately. This is it. Let me give you one piece of advice. Be honest. He knows more than you can imagine. At last. Welcome, Neo. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. It's an honor to meet you. No. The honor is mine. Please, come, sit.
I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, how deep does the rabbit hole go? Jim, what do you say? Well, it seems to be fractal in nature and bifurcating. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think um, that's a perfect clip. I mean, I guess I always knew that he said that, but it doesn't like it's funny that that's what you thought of. I never thought of that necessarily. Um, and the real irony to me is that uh, I always looked at you kind of as a Morpheus in my reality. 
Um, and I'm not saying I'm the one or the Neo, but it's like, I felt kind of more like that level where it's just like, you tend to be a few steps ahead of me ontologically, um, at least in terms of your perceptions and not that you can tell me what to think, but you're, you've always been a very good sounding board, um, for throwing ideas off. I think that has a lot to do with your Libra and North node Pisces stuff. If I don't, if I recall correctly, but, uh, yeah, what is the rabbit hole? What is anything? I mean, right. This is where the real kind of armchair musings kick in if one is to be inclined to do so some people are like fuck this let's go watch football and drink beer that's fine sometimes but there are personality types that are more inclined to dissect and discuss reality yeah what uh, comes to mind to me as you know this offering of the blue or the red pill some people now even speaking of the purple pill um the really interesting connection i found just as some let's say scholarly background reference this is an information I got from Steiner uh, via Dark Journalist, which is about the idea that also in Freemasonry, they have this uh, blue and red pillar, which is then representing kind of a blue and a red world. And the red, red world somehow represents like the gross uh, material, uh, substantial world, which in the matrix then is, you know, the matrix or actually the fake machine world. And then you have more like the higher world or the more etheric realms and they are represented by the blue pillar or the blue world or the yeah the blue ray even of course in terms of chakras it's obvious red would be first chakra and blue would then be like fifth sixth chakra exactly um we could uh, i think maybe some context in terms of how we started talking might be good to put in here because it it, it has a little to do with not pills particularly i don't do pharmaceuticals but um, and then this kind of can kick down whatever pike we want to go. Obviously, I think if I'm not mistaken, I look back in our message history, and I, I at the time I'm pretty sure it was during um maybe right after an acid trip, or maybe like while I was coming down, and I was trying to read Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, um, which I never finished because it started getting so dark, and I was tripping so often that I was like, I can't. I have an active imagination. I can't do this. I need to finish it, uh, even though it's like '90s Edge Lord stuff. Um, but I think during that time I had posted a DMT experience in a chat group or on a post or something, some maybe probably McKenna group or, you know, DMT group or whatever, uh, psychedelics group. And you hit me up and said something to the effect of, I'd read your trip report. Uh, it'd be cool to talk. Let's talk. So even our connection right from the get go is one of inquisition and, um, consciousness alterance. So I think that's hilarious that, it, I mean, it's not necessarily red pills, blue pills, but I, in a weird way, things like LSD and dimethyltryptamine um, act as this uh, facilitator to a new understanding. It is taking the pill, if you want to put it that way. Um, and the weird part is I don't think anybody fully understands what's going on. So we're kind of all like, uh, to quote the Big Lebowski, like children who've walked into a movie, right? And I think in a weird way, though communication is um, an approximate tool and it's a lisp of sorts, um, we have found each other through the resonance of curiosity and psychedelics. Right. Well, that's for all those who've had similar experiences, that's certainly a quite interesting uh, way to meet. Um, well, of course, there's many different ideas coming up right now, even just speaking of the synchronicity and, as I would call it, perfect self-organization of the holographic universe, which then is matching up the resonances, of course, 
which is then also in a sense embodied or brought to a more perceivable layer in everyday reality through stuff like meme pages, right? Because um, that's also a way to reach out or to create community, to create sharing, to share information, or even just to ask questions to a public or a collective and see with whatever answers or comments they can come up with. Correct. Like, I'm not that actually active. There was a period of time, and it's like you're saying, divine timing or perfect timing, however you want to put it. Uh, the Dow howls, right? So at certain points, it seemed that I was more active and engaged with per, like, like groups, like McKenna groups or whatever. And then I just decided, well, it's hard. Like, what happens in a weird way is um, people, it's very much like what Morpheus was just saying. I wrote it down because I want to kind of talk about this because McKenna gets into this um, being told things in hearsay essentially versus the felt uh, the direct feeling of experience itself and like whatever that is and I'm not saying ontologically uh, or epistemologically rather one can fully rely on this experience because you can have hallucinations that are not true per se or whatever you know like maybe maybe whatever um, entities one meets on breaking through on DMT are extensions of the self and I don't have to look at them as other or whatever. So it gets tricky, but he was saying in that little clip, uh, and I find it ironic, um, you can't be told what this is. You have to see it for yourself. And I think that is the the Gnostic kind of experience where knowing at a level that cannot be shaken or taken from you is going to be happening at um, a level that is not going to be translated necessarily through cultural um, means uh, but ironically, at the same time, that's the tool that's used. Uh, that is a way we share. Uh, I mean, that's how we know uh, anything's going on with each other. We have to kind of tell stories and compare notes, if you will. So I think memes um, are kind of a very new. I mean, McKenna kind of talks about memes as um, almost like linguistic viruses in a way where they kind of are, they shape and alter the neurological perception and you apprehend the information in a different way. I'll probably almost like hieroglyphics, but I, we can't, I can't read those, but I imagine that's kind of the similar way of going on where we're looking at an image. And if you're culturally savvy or in tune enough with certain elements, like you're going to get the joke, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, that's only going to be felt on the interior. Uh, it's, you can't, you can't make somebody understand a meme just like you can't make somebody understand maybe tr a, a philosophical precept. Yes. And I would say there are probably as many subcultures as there are individuals on the planet almost, but certainly it's quite interesting. I mean, there's, if we talk about memes, there's like plenty of memes and everyone has a different cultural conditioning or is maybe born in a different area or whatever. So therefore, it is also quite unique because you only get a picture and usually a short quote, and it's not really explaining itself. There's quite actually a large understanding you have to bring to the meme to be able to decode it. Correct. And in that sense, it's almost an initiatory process where it's like, for those with eyes to see, you can see this. And for those without, you're outside of this kind of process of initiation. Not that, not to you know make it too meta like i think at some level memes are just um visual stimuli for uh, monkeys that want to be entertained right at some level but in another way it's a new way of packaging information um maybe not totally new maybe we've done this before in our history i'm not sure i'm open to kind of theories on you know 
higher technology or whatever. I'm not really sure. I tend to have a more McKenna linear approach. Like we've become illumined monkeys and here we are. But, um, that kind of, I mean, we can talk, (laughs) it seems like social balance and, um, I mean, I've been looking a lot into archetypes. I actually, right before this, was watching The Lion King 2 with my niece and nephew who are five and seven, and I'd never seen that. Clearly, I'm I'm 34, so I'm a Disney kid, and Disney is um, an, a vehicle through which I've been uh, uh, illuminated, it's probably very much subconsciously uh, programmed even, if you will. There's quite a bit of uh, esoteric information going on and um, mythos going on in Disney's films, at least the classics. I'm not sure about now. I don't really watch them, but... Um, it was just funny where that whole thing was talking about, I mean, no spoiler alert. Here's if you haven't seen Lion King two, basically Simba has a daughter and scar has an heir, not genetically, but like somebody he's tapped to kind of take his role as usurper. So you have this whole dichotomy of kind of dualism, almost a uh, Zoroastrian situation where it's like good and evil as such kind of obvious, like, you know, scar, I mean, uh, forget his name kuvo or something like that but the scar tribe and the out like outcasts are even shaded differently in terms of animation they're a little darker and their voices are raspier and their whole their songs are about revenge and selfishness and stuff and uh that's not at all how quote the kingdom is going but then at the end there's this epiphany i guess that is brought together with this uh sacred union or whatever of these opposites that come together and they're like we're all one look at each other like the differences aren't nearly as much as we'd like to think we tend to focus on these things um it seems we've been struggling with that as a species maybe uh for a long time tribalism and separateness and pride um i know you know nationalism is kind of the last vestige of this in a weird way and because we're kind of getting post-national though it's still around People are trying to find tribes in new ways. This is McKenna's whole shtick on, uh, and I'm not, I'm pushing McKenna a lot. I haven't really read any of his books. I'm just resonant with him. He's very much like a prophet in the wilderness to me. Um, But his whole thing about the archaic revival, where it's like, we've lost touch with some elements of our, our uh, whatever our ancestral becoming, whatever we were to get here. And because certain institutions like religion and politics and nationalism are being kind of seen as emperors without clothing in a particular way these days. Um, they're not infallible and they don't have the answers necessarily. Um, we're trying to find what the truth is for each of us individually. And because of that, we're finding we're finding tribe and stuff through digital interface. I mean, it's very it's one thing to go to a local watering hole or like a bar or a club or whatever or a park. What it doesn't have to be like crazy and try to socialize and meet people and get on intellectual or emotional similar waves. But it's another thing when you have spaces within digital domains that already have basically the structure, if you will, the wallpaper of what you already resonate with and you enter into that space and you find the others. So I think um, we find ourselves in a, not a brave new world particularly, but it's like the um, I having recently seen ready player one, this is kind of very much like that where it's like uh, we're finding our teams and our soul tribes and our guilds or however you want to put that. And it's not so much about division per se, but differentiation within unity. Um, that's kind of what I'm getting at with the Lion King thing. It's all one kingdom. They're all lions. And if they focus too much on the differentiations, they're going to be prejudiced and probably bigoted um, at the exclusion of other. But if one is to hold the uh, difference 
well enough but loosely and look at kind of a bigger picture which i think is why psychedelics help break these barriers down um that we have culturally and personally kind of embedded within ourselves programmatically um we start seeing the unity and i think that is what the apocalypse is and i'm kind of a post-christian christian i'm still into christianity because i've had some experiences which we don't need to go into here but i've also that's the that's the culture from which like the petri dish from which i'm growing um and in that uh worldview um and many others i'm reading some nordic mythology they have something similar ragnarok and this trumpet that one guy blows at the end or whatever similar to gabriel's trumpet so there's all these archetypal resonances but in the christian judeo-christian kind of thing it's like an apocalypse is an unveiling and i think we're in the time of unveiling where maybe the bicameral mind is able to see it's it, it is a hemispheric operation um which is a kind of a new time but i'm rambling i tend to do this my bad the conch is yours well, um, I would assume many people would love listening to you ramble on for quite some time. So uh, I think it's quite interesting how you laid that out. Uh, the two ideas I jotted down while you were talking was about this whole idea of individuation within unity or within this unity understanding. Um, as we discussed, or as we said, we may also speak of uh, Ra or Law of One a little bit. The simple idea would be that even just today, there was a post, potentially even by Team Rabbit Hole, about the densities and the idea of the third density, which would be like the the main level of the humans, um, would be all about individuation. So the first density, or you could also relate it to the chakras, would be existence itself, like mineral consciousness. The second density would then be the idea of growth and uh, reproduction, which would be plants and um, animals, but here's still very much, let's say, rooted in a like basic uh, collective unity type uh, perspective. And only then in a third density, you would have the idea of individuation, um, which is where for humans mainly on this level, where they could actually even perceive each other or themselves as separate from each other. And then the next level, fourth density, which would be the heart chakra, would then again be this reconnection or this recognition of unity with all three, all things and all individuals through the heart or through the intuition and through the emotion, just to um, connect these threads. Yeah, I uh, I posted that earlier because <laughs> uh, I had told you that I would look at the Rav one. Um, I think I posted that on my personal page, not on Team Rabbit Hole. But the idea here is, um, and dude, I had never, okay, so the law of one is something new to me and something that clearly resonates with you that you turned me on to that I haven't looked into deeply enough, but I read a summary of it and that post I made was essentially the summary of it where it's like, look, here's how it works, blah, blah, blah. And um, it's hilarious. I get, I mean, as, as within, so without, right? As above, so below. So it seems that the... Uh, evolution of selfhood and consciousness through materiality does very much parallel the chakra system like what you're saying and when you're talking about um, individual personhood um, coming from essentially the solar plexus the will I think there's some profound truth there probably that's I mean in a weird way I'm not sure exactly how the story goes, but my impression at the moment is something to the effect of we were probably in a unity space much more naturally at one point, and then we fell into a new level of consciousness of individuality. And 
when you were saying that the idea of um, the metaphor of you know um, Eve coming from Adam's rib cage, it's like that's kind of the solar plexus heart area. It's like I will this into existence with love or whatever. Um, not that that's a historically accurate model. I'm not saying that necessarily, but uh, it's it's metaphorical and poetic minimally. And uh, yeah, dude, I had I I think that. Um, well, with the okay, so we can kind of go into maybe unity versus duality, or duality within unity, if you'd like. Well, anywhere you want to go, this we talk about uh, team rabbit hole. So you know, as you said, it's fractal, and though we're in it together, the path is unique to each and every one. So wherever you want to go. Word. Just for the record, if anybody pulls tarot cards for this conversation, I pulled the page of. Uh, uh well it's a page of hazards in my zombie tarot deck but it's the page of pentacles typically which is about education college learning mysticism tarot itself this doesn't surprise me that we're kind of hitting on all these topics um i'm learning <laughs> even just through discussing with you even though i'm i'm kind of talking out loud i'm learning through what i'm saying as a kind of a byproduct it's kind of funny gemini bullshit here but uh, okay, so unity within duality, because I was reading the law of one, at least the synopsis of it, and it was talking about the logos, or the the creative power, i.e. love, being separate from the source of one. How do you um, break that model down in your own understanding? Can you maybe specify it a little bit, or describe a little bit what you're getting at, just so I can be certain about the terms? Yeah, I'll literally quickly let me pan to what it was on the internet, and then I'll try to read what it said. Definitely. We can go straight to the source. Or to, the, to those who interpreted the source. Maybe as a short background for all of those who don't know what Law of One is, or Ra, who's channeling Law of One, this was actually channeled in the 70s by uh, a woman, she was the channel, and it was mainly a group of three individuals. They have a real who like arranged these sessions and made sure everything was all right. In this case, it's quite specific by its own description. It's a sixth density consciousness, a social memory complex, which could be likened to the idea of like an oversoul concept. And uh, yeah, this was channeled, I believe, for like about one two years. And uh, it is a so-called narrow bandwidth uh, connection. So they always had to be very specific about the setup to make it work. Uh, in any case, everyone can check out information. It's uh, lawofone.info or um, LL Research, or you just look for Ra Law of One. All the PDFs are publicly available. And recently, they also started to release audio recordings, even the original recordings. So you can even hear the original voice of the channel who, interestingly enough, <clears throat> is a woman, um, yeah, channeling Ra. Jim. Well, because I'm on my phone, I'm not going to be able to uh, read it directly, but basically her idea is, or what, what this was positing, which I find highly synchronistic as I just watched this unfold essentially in Lion King 2, uh, is that I guess you, whatever <laughs> creator prime source is uh wanted to cr realize differentiation and separateness and other and created that as an option for experience and within that kind of dual pull of source non-source springs forth all the potential that we see this is kind of the presuppositions being set forth in this model um i'm not 
in agreement with it. I'm not in disagreement with it. I'm just kind of massaging these ideas and trying to figure out where uh, what resonates and what doesn't. It seems cogent enough, but clearly coming from a kind of a, a Christian background, it's going to be <laughs> somewhat heretical. So I'm I walk with fear and trembling, as they say. But um, the idea here is this source has split itself into knowing itself in a new and different way, um, and now. What I can't quite gather, and that's why I was asking, is it seems that Source is differentiated in this model different than Logos, and that Logos is this creative principle that kind of almost um, incubates galaxies particularly, so every galaxy has a different Logos, or like mind, love, spirit, pushing it for a teleological purpose, um, and that in our model for some reason that we may or may never understand, and it kind of goes with the McKenna model a little, um, bipedal mammals were chosen for linguistic capabilities as opposed to telepathic knowing, um, and we have been inducted into a process of evolution to express the divine through a particular route known as humans. And I just wanted to kind of get your take. I don't. You may or may not know. I, I'm clearly not an expert. I don't know. It's more of a question time for me as opposed to here's what I think. Um, how do you differentiate source from logos? Right. So now I, I see what you're getting at. And of course, as a disclaimer, everyone is entitled to their own beliefs. All beliefs, all perspectives are valid. So whatever we are sharing here is simply another perspective for your consideration, if you will, if you wish. Um, and just as you speak about hereticism, um, I'm getting new and new meanings for the whole human design attribution I have personally, which is heretical hermits. We can also get into the origin of the words and you know how they were constructed or how the devil kind of was created. Um, as every so often in history and within wars, you create the image of an enemy in order to have a conflict and have something to fight against. That just as an aside. And uh, yeah, to speak of the, the logos and the source, well, the idea here, as I would um, describe it, is that there is the one and uh, that one, let's say initially, if we would speak about how this whole thing, quote unquote, came into being outside of time and space, this one is only the one. It knows no differentiation. It knows no separation, but therefore it also has no self-reflection. It is simply existent itself, yet without contrast meaning without splitting itself, it could never see itself because it is only the one. So then the idea is that this one um, split itself up into infinite uh, fractal, holographic, however you want to call it, aspects. But all of these splits and all of these differentiations are in actuality within itself. So the one can never create anything outside of itself because nothing exists outside of itself. But within itself, it can create infinite differentiations, and it's like the ultimate quantum computer or whatever, creating all potential realities. And the way that Ra describes it with the logos or logoi is that um, it would simply be the idea of a somewhat um, hierarchical setup of creation, but this would be hierarchy really more in the sense of divine order and not some kind of corrupted, distorted version of it simply meaning that you have different levels of consciousness and the local logos in our case, according to Ra, for example, would be the sun. And obviously, um, even just recently, I think Sheldrake, Rupert Sheldrake made a talk about is the sun conscious? 
haven't seen it yet, so I can't tell you. But in general, everything would be conscious. And here the idea would just be that these logos, whether it's on a, a logos like for a galaxy or then for a solar system, they are like, let's say, the local uh, organizers um, that are on many different levels, um, yeah, kind of like leading the direction. However, of course, it's also very clear that any souls who would uh, incarnate, for example, here on Earth, and no one is forced to do that. No one is being forced by the sun to do anything. But it's all just like, you know, I always like these gaming analogies, like a server opening up and there's a local galaxy or a local solar system with the sun and the sun chooses its settings. And then any soul, let's say, any individual that wants to join on a human level, they can check out this possibility. And if they like it, they will join. And apparently, also, as it is said, right now, many people wanted to join. And that's who all here for this time of transformation. If this is an answer. Yes, I actually, I mean, uh, a few things popped into my mind. Arcade Fire's song Reflector and the music video, kind of what you're saying, where it's like the unity isn't going to know itself without reflection. Um, and that's a great song. It's actually spelled, I think, in the German spelling of Reflector with a K, which I always found amusing as an American. <laughs> I don't know uh, know German, but it's, it's funny. In hearing you guys talk earlier before this interview, I could kind of pick up enough... Um, linguistically that it's like i can see where my language kind of comes from without like it's like cousin stuff right where i'm like oh we're related but uh like linguistically english and english and uh german anyway um so uh so yeah the arcade fire reflector song popped in my head which is a good one good jam if you guys don't know it check it out uh but also what made me kind of amused is it doesn't surprise me i mean the sun, for better or worse, is the source of quite a bit of life and the, the nature of, um, I mean, I'm not sure if life can exist without it on Earth uh, in the way that we apprehend it and define it right now. I'm sure there's other levels of life that we don't understand as humans right now. But as far as we can run around it as like, you know, bipedal thinkers with by, by uh, cameral minds, it seems that um, most religions kind of ultimately break down to solar cult stuff. I like I said, I resonate with Christianity, but I do understand that it is, it is somewhat an echo of uh, Egypt kind of solar myth stuff. Um, maybe it's a, a kind of a – the song is never – like the song is, remains the same, but it just gets articulated through different mediums, so it will be heard differently. Um, it would be really cool at some level if the plurality of all these perspectives is – literally looking at the diamond of being from different facets and we're just we're coming into knowing that now as a species kind of fourth density stuff like you're saying um but yes you did answer my question i think i can appreciate it i'm not fully on board but i'm not poo-pooing it well what would be your comment about this or what is your perspective or the ideas that would come up for you I mean, this kind of gets tricky because I don't want to sound elitist or um, narcissistic or anything. We've discussed, discussed solipsism before and how it almost is that reality is um, like the flower of life is many circles, individual circles coming together for a picture of a whole. So in a similar sense, I think there's individual reality tunnels that come together for a whole um, on the server, as you would put it, which would be like, kind of like the design of the flower of life or however you want to look at that. Uh, so when you're talking about this, what kind of come, came to mind at first was this is probably more accurate than not. 
Um, I'm just okay. So I think religion and politics and a lot of these things um, are it seems necessary, or else they wouldn't be happening. Not to say they aren't are good or bad, or they aren't distorted. Clearly, I'm not like all about uh, models as they are standing now. I think religion needs to stop and change, and I think politics are kind of failing us and dividing us for stupid reasons when we have kind of um, some serious ecological uh, and artificial intelligent kind of things coming up soon. So anyway, um, what you kind of said, though, triggered in my mind the idea of the bell curve. I'm not a mathematician nor a statistician, statistician so I don't know like how to explain this, but a, the idea of the bell curve, if anybody isn't aware of this, is on... Um, on the one end of something, okay, so if you have a population of 100 people, let's just say, uh, on the left-hand side are going to be, let's just say, 10 people that will never fucking get it. They are so basic and so bound to certain elements of being, whether it's material, ignorance, kind of in a Buddhist sense, or just holding on to the Maya in a very particular way, that their functionality and their, not purpose ultimately, but their their uh, experience of the Tao is on the lower lowest end of the thing. It's the lowest ten percent, right? And then, so basically, it's like they're not hopeless, but it's like these. This is going to be soil where the seed never is going to take root. So good luck. Um, then you have kind of the middle of the 80, 80 people, where that's the curve, the bell, like the majority of the average or whatever are in the middle, where I think certain structures have to be in place, like uh, the ideas of religion and exoteric religion at least and uh political parties and tribalism and all this stuff is is a governing force that people need to to understand and maneuver through reality better with um some people are better for understanding what the idea of god is through religion some people are better uh, whereas if they didn't have that they might really be not well behaved in a sense um, and more ripping of the social fabric though if that were to happen i guess it's meant to be kind of thing so i kind of have a uh we're I'm I'm have a developing model on that. I'm not sure, like what good and evil are ultimately. Maybe they're just. Uh, well, I'll get into that in a second. But anyway, so then you have the last ten people essentially on the front end, which are we would call like prophets or the guru mystics on the top of the hill who aren't talking to people and just channeling this shit. They don't necessarily need the religious texts or the political models to be um, self-aware and self-governing and all this jazz. They're ahead of the curve, the bell curve, so to speak. That's why people say ahead of the curve. Um, and it doesn't make them better, but it is a necessarily different position. So uh, what kind of comes to me is that I think there's a level of illumination happening for those that are willing to kind of hold on to their models loosely, um, where we can kind of walk through a threshold of understanding into new domains of understanding and hopefully do it in love. Um, but you can hear automatically where I have a very dualistic, I'm a sun and moon Gemini. So I not only talk my emotions out, so that's why I'm talking this through, but I am very readily, uh, quote the devil's advocate. So I can, it's hard for me to hold a position. I think you're more, uh, adept at that. Actually. That's why I find you more, uh, helpful in conversations. Um, but that's kind of what I got out of what you said. I, I think in a weird way, it's like, it's a it's a, a penultimate truth or a higher level truth that is really hard for people in the in the middle, myself included, as groggy somewhat, um, to to digest and download. But that doesn't does not mean it's impossible. And then the, these kind of models that are 
higher truths get trickled in through exoteric religions and stuff at some level, though those ultimately do get distorted because of people's wills and power struggles and lack of information and all sorts of stuff. So it's complicated, it's tricky, but I think uh, there's probably more to this model than I, I'll be reading the law of one and checking it out for myself. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, next time we can have an in-depth, detailed discussion with excerpts, if you wish, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. <laughs> whatever, whatever goes, uh, whatever is easy and the way of least resistance. Um, yeah. So the idea, of course, is that one could say this is a high-level perspective on creation. Of course, it's just another perspective. It's just something else put into words. And also this has to be seen in a kind of a dynamic fashion, almost like with the memes. So even here, these are texts and the channeled material, I would say in general, is something you can understand quite intuitively and then also very logically. Um, both approaches are open, but of course, it's, the exact process is different for each and every one. And then, of course, even these materials are not the ultimate truth. But I'm always about like, let's also be practical. And let's see what is like the best approximation or what I always like to say, what is like the best and most simple model that can explain all phenomena and all perceptions that I have in the best and simplest way without uh, leaving anything out. And um, what's certainly interesting is that this whole thing, like with law of one, for example, started in the 70s. And back then they were like still worried about how to publish the book or whatever. And by now, it's, I would say that in the new age scene, it's very well known. And uh, it's, let's say, known well enough or it has contains enough relevant information that also whole like limited hangout kind of psyop operations uh, ha and marketing gigs kind of had been spun off um, from it. But like claiming uh, heritage or allegiance to the law of one, even though by then, of course, as so often with original teachings, got heavily distorted when a profit motive comes in. Yeah, I mean, I'm not Catholic, I'm Protestant by heritage, but that's kind of what you see in that model, where at some point indulgences were a thing, and it's like, yeah, you'll, your salvation lies in economic investment, and that is clearly not the original <laughs> message at all. So, um, kind of not shifting total gears, but I have, uh, not only did we kind of meet through, um, I mean, I was probably tripping and reading a comic book and you messaged me because you read a drug trip report, essentially. Um, and I think I hit you up and I was like, can you do a tarot reading for me? Because you said you did tarot and channeling. Um, if you want to go into that, we can a little. I, I'm kind of wondering what you think the importance or the value um, of kind of divinatory esoteric tools are in both your journey and just uh, in the journey in general. It seems we're at a time... Um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, astrology was not where it is right now. And a lot of people would poo-poo it in a very specific way. But because the zeitgeist is such, um, people are way more, maybe it's part of the archaic revival. Maybe it's just the way things are. But people are looking to tools that are less, uh, more taboo, essentially, and less, um, well, obviously there's going to always be like people who have always believed in astrology. So, but the vast majority of people have been trained to think in terms of empirical data, um, logic, capital R reason. I mean, this is, I, I mean the whole schism with Descartes and, um, the West and, uh, the way we apprehend reality is kind of where this stems from. But I think 
Well, what, do you want to talk about tarot and astrology and stuff? Does that interest you at all? Well, obviously, certainly. Um, the first thing that I would say about this is that, as with all reality, basically, it's an interface. So it's like, just like the perception you have right now, even listening to this transmission or looking around wherever you are, this is all an interface between, let's say, yourself and your higher self. And uh, for me, then, all divinatory arts, whether it's um, tarot or, well, channeling can be divinatory. It depends on even here how you understand it. And that's kind of the second aspect, which is it very much depends on the level of consciousness from which you approach these tools as to what they can provide you and how you allow them to communicate with you. For me, it's basically the, the understanding where I am by now is that everything is my self-reflection and uh, anything practically I focus on must reflect me 100%, even though I may not always be able to clearly understand it logically. But knowing that intuitively through experience and also knowing that it is so logically, even if I don't know the details, just allows me to use these tools like tarot, put my focus there and then just understand that nothing is random, everything is synchronistic. And that then gives me a whole different uh, perspective on all of these reflective tools because I always relate them to me. I try to understand how they relate to me or whoever I'm reading for or whatever the situation may be exactly. And also it may shift you, and I assume this has been similar in astrology, a little bit away from, oh, next year you're going to find your husband or something like this, more to like reading probabilities and energies. And even more than that, just giving practical advice you can actually apply right now. That's kind of what I would assume that the astrology direction you're going into is more about, even though I also very much appreciate all these like setup ideas, whether it's astrology, birth charts, or human design, and so on. Because even here, it's like an interesting link of self-reflection, because on some level, you chose your birth date. On some level, you chose that you will incarnate on a planet where there is a well-established system called astrology. And so uh, that's kind of how I approach it. So there is also a link how you can how you can play that game in this way. Yeah, I'm totally on the same wave in the sense that I'm not sure. Tr- I mean, one can throw sticks and try to figure out who your spouse is, I guess, but that is almost like a a more lower chakra, not to sound... There, there's different, like... Hmm. If one is to look at, like, chakras as zones of consciousness, I think that uh, if you were to... Act, like, let's say you're, you're living in fear or stuff, lower chakra and you're looking for security materially and stuff, that's going to be a very different coloration on the reading and the interpretation and the whole situation than if you're trying to do it from um, kind of a detached um, and intuitive place, like more third eye, throat kind of area. Um, exactly. And that gives me the perfect image, just to interrupt you briefly. What I would now assume is just an image that I intuited, or I could say I channeled right now to stay on topic, is this whole idea that then, first of all, it depends on the user of the tool, whether it's uh, yeah, tarot, uh, consulting a channel or whatever, so what level they put in. And then the second part would be if there actually is another individual that is, for example, in this case, offering the astrology reading, the tarot reading, or the channeling, then it may actually be up to them, if they choose to do so, to transform that potential um 
let's say, looking for security, material, emotionally or whatever, and actually kind of transform it to a higher ray, a higher level, a different coloration, more like in the green and the blue and so on, and kind of even potentially reflect the same information or just ask back a question or point out some idea, but from that higher perspective, which is then, I would say, usually what allows individuals to actually feel relief no matter what of which of these techniques they engage in is because they can shift perspective to a higher level or then they can be relaxed because they don't limit themselves to the awareness of these lower energy centers anymore uh, or exclusively, which are, of course, always bound to materiality and uh, bound to all kinds of factors to which everything from the heart, to stay in that analogy, is absolutely free from. Right. So there is, uh, I mean, I think when we started talking, you were, you pro I think literally I was like, Hey, can you do a reading for me? Right. You were doing, um, tarot readings, but like they were more like galactic tarot. I think you can explain what you were using at the time. I'm not even really sure. Probably wizard of odd kind of thing. Um, but, uh, the way I, okay, I'll kind of break down a material minimalist approach. I've kind of approached, um, tarot as, uh, almost like taking a comic book and ripping it up and randomizing it because there's only so many pages of this book possible and um, 72 <laughs> and um, I think it's 72 I forget how many cards are in the deck now but um, uh, taking this comic book and cutting it up and then throwing it down and then essentially it's a feedback loop of projection where you're in a story and then you start kind of seeing your story in the story that's in front of you, which is separate than you, but also symbolically tethered to the fact that we can kind of interpret it, if you want to put it that way. Um, so I, when I do Tarot or do a, a more specifically with this is Tarot, where it's like, I don't particularly think like, I mean, one can go as far as being like, God has picked this card or I, a spirit is shuffling the deck and I, it's picking it for me. I think that can get, problematic um to a degree so i don't always go that way but i do put intention to my shuffle and stuff i think um in a weird way it's almost just trying to read the matrix wallpaper where neo at one point just saw a script and it didn't really make a bunch of sense but if you kind of correlate the script in a certain way you'll start seeing shapes of the smiths or whatever um that doesn't mean it is the smith it's like it's it's it's, it's a like the hand is not pointing at the uh, the whole Zen Cohen thing was like, look at the moon, not the hand pointing at it. I think sometimes the tools can be maybe misconstrued as something greater than they are, but ultimately they are um, resonance filters for us to perceive differently through. I have a presupposition at this point that we're probably something more akin to, I mean, this is a little Gnostic, but like whatever being in the image of God is, it seems that like from the eternal fire, we're little sparks experiencing what flamehood is as itself uh like essentially and when i look at astrology i say to people because i do uh charts uh right now <laughs> i've started doing that anyway um when i'm reading someone's chart i'm like your soul if you want to put it that way or your essence is like a candle flame and we're looking at how that candle flame appears to be through a stained glass window so you're something entirely different but the way in which we're which you're being apprehended and kind of expressing through the window is the colorations and those things are colored um kind of like what was the 
what were the conditions of the Dow when you popped out, like in terms of an oven, like different, like if you put in a cookie too long, it'll burn. If you don't do it enough, it's going to be gooey. That's similar, I think, in a way to how we incarnate. And there, it's not like better or worse. The Zodiac, um, it seems to me, is a model of apprehension to the degree that it's showing it takes all kinds. It's not like Aries is better than Scorpio. There's strengths and weaknesses to all these things, and they're all much like wheel spokes necessary for the wheel to be a wheel. Um, whereas the hub of the wheel is the central self or the eternal self or however you want to put this, maybe our connection to Brahma or however one models this, right? The image of Godness. Um, so I think we're kind of in a similar boat. One of the things I really do appreciate though is I have, I don't know, I'm pretty sure you still do it. I'm not sure to what degree, but um, as far as channeling went, you were the first person, you and the peace dealer, um, this other tarot dealer, astrologer that I am friends with, um, are the only people that I'm really comfortable with in terms of channeling. Uh, coming from my background of Christianity, I've always been like, oh my gosh, is this demonic possession? What's going on? I was much more apprehensive intellectually and kind of not willing to uh, just like even I'm not saying this is the case because I have watched a bunch of Bashar and I appreciate it. But like how he kind of. I don't know. The best way to put it is like it, you it, it seemed like uh, you the way you channeled was something I could handle. Um I don't know if you want to talk about what you do or have done with that. Well, it's certainly very, very interesting. Um, again, very much depending on a perspective, of course, if you would listen to, in this example, Bashar, B-A-S-H-A-R, channeled by Daryl Lanka. Um, and depending on the recording, it can really be quite intense. It's a, it is a specific frequency, obviously. However, this also then again shows this is why we have so many individuals on this planet. Everyone can learn from everyone. Everyone can choose whom they would like to learn what from and in what way and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, so definitely it's it's a quite distinct uh, frequency, which may be for some, may not be for others. And to tie it back again uh, to the Tarot just briefly, just to give a very simple example, of the card uh, 13, which is death. And usually for those who are not very familiar with Toro or with these symbolic systems, they see it and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Or it's like, it has a negative attribution. But the other idea would just be that, uh, well, everything is changing, which is good. Some things should change. You actually want something to change. You want some things to quote unquote die or leave your reality. First of all, of course, your fears and your resistances and so on. And then also the, I think, agnostic way of naming the card is actually immortality. That then puts a whole different spin on the whole thing. So as with all of these tools or whatever channelings, it's really very, very much dependent on the frequency level of those who are perceiving or using it. it doesn't even need to talk about better or worse or higher or lower. It's just everyone has unique configurations and then they have unique ideas that they resonate with. What comes to mind, and this uh, this does have a taste of better or worse, but I'm not trying to imply that. Um, in the uh, epistles, Paul talks about people being like, you know, eating spiritual food. And it's like you eat baby food when you're ready for that. And then you advance like, you know, children don't eat steak. <laughs> They're not ready for that. They can't digest it. They can't chew it. I'm vegan, by the way. I don't eat steak. But um, babies don't eat steak. It would be improper timing if you want to put it that way and probably not ideal probabilistically speaking for their health and wellness and all um for them to have steak at a time when they're not capable of handling it and then once the baby is 
you know, a kid with teeth and, you know, has certain digestive enzymes or whatever that like we'd introduce steak into their diet and say, ha, yeah, you like steak, don't you? And then the meat industry thrives. I'm joking. Um, but it kind of is similar in that sense, I think, where um, because I think truth is bigger than anybody can apprehend. I don't think anybody is sitting with the nugget in their pocket like and has I mean, they have a perspective on the thing. And then even within that is the degree of their um, fool's journey or their initiation or uh, individuation through their perspective has various seasons. I mean, uh, there were truths that I could understand very differently as a kid uh, versus now. Um, I would apprehend them necessarily differently just because of my happenstance and the time-space thing or whatever and the river of flow. Uh, what comes to mind, though, is... Um, I've kind of used the analogy before where it's like when you have a very young child, you tell them, don't go in the street, cars will hit you. Like you kind of essentially put a fear in them um, about like a, like the street is bad, don't go there, right? The street is not by nature bad. It just has more danger and, and maybe that child isn't equipped in certain ways to deal with those realities. So the parameters of fear are basically put up uh, but at some point, you become an adult, you realize looking both ways is good, and you can kind of maneuver that reality. So it's no longer the same kind of good, bad, scary, hopeful kind of analogy. You've almost evolved through it. I think in a weird way, that's kind of what's happening at various levels through human existence with religions and politics and stuff, and tarot and astrology, where it's like, uh, a lot of people are told these things are, I mean, there might be political reasons, but a lot of people are told don't basically empower yourself through intuition um it's dangerous and i think there's some truth to that to the degree that if you aren't necessarily equipped or at a at a certain point in your own process certain things could freak you out my dmt trip i'm still i mean that was in 2011 in november 2011 11 11 yeah um and i'm still trying to figure out what the fuck happened i've talked to you about that many times and every time we talk and i'm you know about it i think you help assuage my kind of uh confusion a little not that you have the answer, but it's like, um, th there's a, re and ironically in the, um, I'm not saying this is true historically or necessarily, but there is an apocryphal book called the book of Enoch, which is basically like star Wars of heaven, um, and how angels fell and all this kind of thing. Um, and it gets into, there were, it, there was information given to humans before it's quote appointed time, like astrology and stuff. So I'm wondering how much of that is true where it's like, whoa, we got like, systems that we weren't ready to digest and we don't know how to handle these powers properly versus how much of it is um well i lost my train of thought but i think you see what i'm saying it seems it seems all of these things are neutral and then how the the intention and the lo locus of the uh development of the individual play into how they can use these tools actually What I would say right now, also to give me some time to think of what you just said, let's play one of your tracks and then we'll be right back and dive into it. If you would agree, kindly announce one of your tracks. Oh, I'm totally into this. I have no clue what you're going to play, but whatever it is, enjoy. We're going to play one of your tracks so you can choose of the two tracks that were of your oh, selection. Let's, let's do Stereo Lab. I think it's need to be.
Welcome back. Already deep within the rabbit hole, as you just realized, we are learning actually oftentimes, even just through talking to each other, this whole idea again of self-reflection. And for some individuals, I also specifically noted this, they actually really uh, maybe even learn better in conversation, oftentimes not even necessarily gleaning so much from the other, but even just expressing their own thoughts, stating their own ideas to themselves which then really assists them in yeah, just understanding what they really believe in or what they prefer to believe in. Yeet. Yeah, so uh, we had been talking about the uh, how appropriate divinatory tools are uh, given different times. So what would you say uh, is your, let's say, basic perspective on that? Well, I'm a student of life, so I'm not an expert and I'm not a guru, so don't take my word. Do some research for yourselves, right? But um, it seems that every culture, uh, I mean, this gets tricky. This gets into like masculine polarity, Adia Pingala, yin-yang stuff real quick. But it's like there are um, governing truths that have a, a more phallic power and presence this gets actually into the whole columns of uh the freemason columns which are basically based off of kabbalah sides of the tree but there's a masculine and a feminine kind of principle going on um and the way these interplay directly reflects different in cultures so it's like the spartans clearly were very in tune with their masculine i don't know how feminine they were though it seemed um, they were willing to deal with the oracles or whatever in the 300. So they had a, you know, the culture as, as such, like Oracle of Delphi was a thing. So they were like, okay, we'll accept it. Um, they're probably more begrudging people or temperaments or personality palettes or however you want to color, uh, color that word. Um, people groups that have uh, and individuals that lean a certain way, but that doesn't mean they don't have the other part, a part of them. They're just essentially repressing it. Um, so I'm rambling, but uh, the I Ching seems to be one of the more old uh, divinatory tools that is 64 hexagrams, kind of like a binary system of of uh, modulation, if you want to put it that way, of potential through uh, three graphs, ultimately of nine, I guess, potential zeros and ones before they had binary, right? Um, and that really correlates with our codons of our DNA. So I think this starts this stuff starts bleeding into like the fabric of time space in a very particular way that doesn't mean um everybody's going to grok it at that level but i guess what i'm saying is okay so the I Ching is a chinese kind of divinatory system that uh ultimately thousands of years old but it's like what was before that what we were discussing kind of during the music break was i'm not sure if um the babylonian ultimately zodiac or whatever this middle eastern kind of model is a universal truth like is is uh you know uh taurus always going to be earth and it's a feminine venusian thing like is that just the archetype and then we're putting labels on it based off of our, based off our understanding at the moment or are these models developing with us as consciousness moves through time um maybe ten thousand years ago, like you know at one point chromagnons didn't have language so to try to express things in linguistic terms would not it wouldn't work on their hardware it's software they couldn't upload whereas now we have linguistic kind of softwares that are different so we can have you know macintosh and windows and linux and all these kinds of different models which would be kind of like tarot versus like I Ching versus other stuff 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm not sure I, I have the verdict is now. I don't know if there's a way to know that in in a hundred thousand years will humans need these things or will will we be so synced up um, both telepathically with galactic beings and AI and all sorts of stuff that we just apprehend reality as differently as uh, humans now to Cro-Magnons then. It's fascinating to kind of muse upon, um, but I don't have a horse in the race. It seems, uh, well, I do in the sense that I, I, these things uh, work well for me. So what works, I try to stick with, but holding on loosely is also important because um, biases and verification kind of bias and um, hoping uh, projection and all this kind of stuff can play into and color uh, how one operates uh, hardware software interfaces yes I would say you're completely right and uh, the way I like to see it especially talking about astrology is this is a way of a galactic clock let's say or solar system clock or depending how far you go out and uh, it just provides uh, a reference point the idea being that um, as I recently discussed with both our friend Sam is that the idea of astrology always being uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. So that puts you in the driver's seat that gives you the empowerment. And then aside from that, I would assume, I mean, assuming everything has a purpose, whether you see it in terms of a Christian God, intelligent design or whatever other universe conspiring in your favor, then the idea would be that all of the planets and whatever we may see of them and however they may actually look and so on, there's of course also big questions about all of that, but whatever system we are using, um, there would naturally be some relevance to the luminaries uh, in the sky and so on to kind of assist us in recognizing ourselves. And assuming that is built in, then you build around it different systems, which I guess this is even public knowledge pretty much are handed down from long long time ago just this idea of looking at the stars and uh, just as you said then you simply use whatever seems to work out well for you while also considering your own potential biases and uh, and belief system what comes to mind kind of quickly in uh when we start talking about this is the um the split it seems in consciousness on earth in terms of modeling uh styles the east versus the west as they say um and i have a one i've always wondered uh what the causal necessity of this has been because typically when one is looking at philosophies of china japan india um they tend to be more holistic and uh there's a certain flavor about them that um, the West has gone more on an, an individualistic pursuit of mind and uh, and um, empiricism and rationality. Um, not to say that you know Hinduism is irrational, but clearly the flavors are a little different. Um, I don't know why I'm saying this. I don't know if you want to talk about that for a second, but it seems that maybe there is this um, need. Uh, ironic need to be is the stereo lab song right maybe there's this need to be bifurcating in such a way that we have in order to get better reflections of ourselves um these cultures have had to diverge and maybe now is the era in which we start finding the commonality the vesica pisces of it all as opposed to running around crusading and saying oh you don't believe in jesus fuck you i'll kill you or oh you don't believe in 
Krishna, uh, you're out or whatever. Like these, I think in a way, I mean, there's always going to be the bell curve. So there's always going to be people fighting basically for things they don't understand at a, at a materially basic level. Like basically, you know, the executioners or whatever, um, the, the, the willing human shields of an idea where they don't even understand the idea, but they're willing to defend it because of social comforts or whatever. Um, maybe even inherited, uh, like familial or tribalistic um, uh, cogency, where it's like, I have to fit in with the tribe, and if I don't act like this, it won't work. Um, I'm rambling, but I'm wondering if uh, what new models we should be looking for. Like, it's great that I love Tarot, um, but that is a very uh, middle European um, kind of lens and I don't know how limiting that is versus empowering I don't I don't think jumping off of a, the plank into the unknown fully makes sense we have to kind of be tethered to what we've inherited symbolically but it seems we should be open to new models which is kind of where your tarot cards were coming in because they were not uh rider weight let's just say that it was like more galactic flavor and just a different flavor if you want to talk about that for a second yeah, well, in terms of if we see everything as valid and just as an experience within the one, then certainly what you described, this idea of the bifurcation and this exploration is a really already very valid and very valuable just for the experience itself. Um, it may be somewhat difficult to grasp if one ha- has not already intuited these levels, But I always like to remind individuals that what we are doing here, this level of separation and confusion and amnesia, is a pretty special place. And then certainly, if you already have such a place set up, this is where you can really also play out these splits and then uh, splits of consciousness, truly. This is what it then always comes back to. But then also, of course, and this is also in the alchemical process, as I understand, uh, eventually then you, you recombine again. And uh, in terms of chakras, uh, as we discussed before, then uh, the fourth chakra or the fourth step in alchemy would be conjunction. So this would be, I would say, the step where we recombine the ideas. I would say the Vesica Pisces is a perfect uh, symbolic example of that. And what I would then say what comes with that is, let's say, between these two circles, uh, if they are even, yeah, they are circles, Actually, you create an like more ellipsoid structure in the beginning, at least, just as an image. So what I would kind of sense is that along with this also may come then an upgraded understanding, which is in some ways superseding both aspects, <clears throat> both bifurcated aspects that had come before. And this may then come, this is, for example, what Bashar always says, is that he's not telling anyone anything new. Is just putting it in a different way and uh, kind of updating somewhat outdated vocabulary just to make it easier for us to uh, to contemplate these ideas, to intuit them, and then also to put them into action. Right, and I should probably caveat, I'm coming from a position at this point where I'm, whether good and evil exist like as distinct things, it's all whatever this dream machine is is a dream by for and through love i feel so it's all grace if you want to put it that way um i think people have to come to certain levels of their journeys where and maybe it's not for everybody because it is a bell curve so if this isn't resonating i'm sorry but uh so 
it seems like there's what we're talking about with the Vesica Pisces is almost the uh, it's very Gnostic in a sense where it's like, look, you have the left and the right pillars and the middle path is the Christ path or whatever. And I think I've always kind of looked at it because I'm trying to make sense of, com I mean, the best I can. Maybe it won't ultimately work. Maybe these are some models we have to drop or I have to drop at levels. But when I'm looking at the idea of Yahweh, um, this fa fatherly patriarchal kind of linear thing, um, it has a very specific flavor to it. And then I've always kind of looked at the Holy Spirit, if you want to put it that way, as this, um, well, like, let's just say... Uh, god the father as santa claus and it's like i have a list of good and bad behavior and i have ideals and i'm, I'm the king of the kingdom there's a very specific archetypal resonant pattern in there that's being expressed whereas with the holy spirit you have this kind of intuitive feminine thing where it's like yeah maybe the kids on the list who fucking suck or disapprove you disapprove of as quote bad kids on the good and bad kids santa list um they still get cookies too. I'll sneak something into their thing. Oh, that's the idea of common grace where it's like the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. There's things that affect all of us independently of our karma, ironically. Um, and then the idea being the Christos or whatever, being this unification of these things where it's like, look, I, I know what my father wants, but I have the grace of my mother to be able to do this. So we'll all be the unification of all these things. I, that's a very Christian Gnostic flavor to it. But I think that we are coming into a place of unity within diversity, but but the strange part is um, the 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 I mean this is kind of like Harry Potter shit or Star Wars kind of stuff where it's like the the stronger um, the light is or the stronger the distinctions are uh, the more uh, it depends, but the more seeming conflict there is. I think I call you kind of not regularly, but when we talk. Uh, it's almost I needed an assurance outside of my kind of schizophrenic inherited model where there's this whole Zoroastrian battle. Whether that's true or not, different argument. But I think you've always helped me kind of get a bigger, broader sense of things. That it's like, um, well, within the terrarium of being, there's these dynamics playing out of polarity. And what one focuses on is what one kind of feeds and... Uh, it takes both to have the whole fucking toroid, particularly. Right. The idea is even here, it always takes both. Always like, you know, in this case, saying yes and saying no. So in a sense, one could say positive action, integration, and then to some ways, not really a separation, but more like a sorting out. But the idea is that the sorting out is only possible once I validate and integrate also the negative ideas doesn't mean I have to act them out, just become aware of them, become aware of the belief systems and of the fears and so on, and validate them to own them, and then they can be changed. And that's potentially why I'm always harping on this, I don't know how it would even be properly called, non-dual or unity idea, uh, because I simply experientially and logically find it to be true. And then uh, again, using the gaming analogy, we are all just players on the server or like in ready player one whatever playing in this virtual reality and however we may judge or put moral um, implications on what we're doing here um when you log out uh you're sh you're doing a handshake or whatever you're going to dance uh it was just a game or it was just a dream ultimately uh this doesn't need to excuse any behavior or 
condone any type of behavior because what also comes in here would then be the holographic reflective principle that anyhow, no matter what frequency you're on, that's the reality you're getting. So um, in this sense, in my impression, it's not just uh, in this way neutral, but also truly everyone actually gets what they deserve if properly understood. Right. Something tends to come up when I talk to you is I, like I've told you before, I feel you're on the other side of a glass ceiling that you've broken through on with the whole unity con uh, concept. Whereas I'm more bound to the dualism. I think that has more to do with the fact that I'm a double Gemini and a, coming from Christianity. So I'm just seeing it that way colored so hard. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering what your impression on, um, I have asked you this, but I kind of want to hear again. Um, I have a tendency to look at things through a reductionist material lens and, and almost a platonic look where I'm like, look, we're meat suit things. And this is a 3d plane of experience. That's uh, basically an immersive um, VR. I mean, that's the technological terms we use now, but it's like we're sensorial beings immersed in sensory experience as fully as possible with bodies that sense basically. And, and minds that can kind of pick up on this. What, how do you do the mind body thing? I mean, do you look at like, I know you, t when we've discussed things, it seems like I'm always like, okay, so you're a solipsist, like almost a spiritual solipsist, like what's not in the mind of consciousness, God or whatever. And I can get to there to a point, but then I start kind of focusing on, um, certain elements like good and evil kind of stuff. And, I'm, and it's, I get tripped up. That's why I'm always like, oh, I think I see you through the other side and I'm, appreciative of the fact that you've broken through this and I'm, I haven't. And, and I mean, that's kind of why one of the reasons we keep talking, I think, I think you're helping lead me through that kind of glass ceiling, but what, what do you see? How do you, how do you apprehend reality in terms of um, physical duality or spiritual physical duality? Um, just to briefly mention, I believe the quote or the sentence, which is, has the most occurrence in the, versions of the Bible, I assume even canonical, is something along the lines of have no fear, do not fear. I would say that is quite sound advice. And uh, um, about the whole, yeah, uh, spiritual and mind thing, I mean, to me, the, the idea would be that just as you described, one can see it in a sense that we are these, yeah, meat suits and so on. But to me, it's more like an avatar, like, I have this experience and I need this suit, spacesuit, actually, our bodies, spacesuits, allows us to move through space, actually teleport, but just we make it seem very linear and logical. <laughs> um, and to me, the understanding is simply that you're on this holodeck, but the only one that is programming the holodeck uh, is yourself. And everything we call physicality actually is a projection within consciousness so um it's all just one and it's just different levels of that experience and then what i just like to do is recognizing as you said uh, the rain falls on everyone equally even though here there may be experiential differences um to me it's very much about just keeping the body as the temple in a state to receive these other or one may say higher type frequencies with as little resistance as possible i hear that um i i totally dig that i think ultimately it seems that um for whatever reason 
um, we're having to like, I mean, it, it, it drives with the law of one. So I can see why your uh, ontological pers- your perspective is consistent. Let's put it that way. So it's not like you're, I feel like I'm having to explain a lot <laughs> and jump around on a lot of different waves. Like if I talk to a Christian, um, like a, you know, a very conservative kind of Christian and I start bringing up the Nephilim in Genesis or, um, the Mount of Transfiguration or any of these kinds of like supernatural events, uh, they tend to not want to talk about those things. Whereas it seems that uh, your model is at least open to so much. Uh, well, there's a lot going on here uh, to, 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 to presume that like the text fell from the sky is ridiculous. So I think there's a lot of omission or an editing and the fact that little things like fear, not do not fear kind of thing. Like we were saying, got through, um, we should probably be paying attention to it. Uh, but I, uh, in a weird way, there was a Christian thinker back in the day on American named Jonathan Edwards in like the 17 or 1800s, who was like, I think he went to Princeton or something at 17. Like he was a genius kind of guy and a preacher, but he had a kind of a panentheistic, um, almost Hindu, if you will, vibe of understanding reality where he thought we were essentially ideas in the mind of God. Like maybe we didn't have any actual essential quality outside of being like imagined if you will um and then i look at kind of buddhist thinking and it almost strikes me as almost a psych a pre-psychoanalytic model where it's like trying to deconstruct things and understand things um at the most uh contact level the most practical level it's like how are we like i i mean there are schools of buddhism that get into very lofty and metaphysical kind of concepts and and stories or whatever but generally speaking siddhartha gatma was like there is no he was an agnostic right he was kind of just trying to explain how to walk through the matrix without saying there's a designer or not without getting into any of that kind of thing and then projecting kind of anthropomorphically onto other outside of the machine if you will um what kind of what kind of things do you draw from in your own ontological perspective in terms of, I know, I mean, you have a, I think if I recall um, a tapestry of Ganesh, like what models are you finding the most resonant and helpful? What do you think in these, whatever school, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, it doesn't really matter. um, New age. What kind of things are you finding the most helpful in your uh, sojourn at the moment? Well, um, it's related to uh, Ganesh. I once found a book in New York which was about different deities and art or explanations on them. And uh, Ganesh is the guardian of the threshold. So in a sense, it also relates to the whole uh, Morpheus archetype. And to me, ultimately, it's just a personal preference. I mean, of course, also in India, but there it's kind of like common that you have these small altars and so on all around. But then also in European speaking countries, of course, there is this kind of like new age draw or however you want to put it towards different types of mythologies, kind of like recombining it or reintegrating it, re reimporting it, however you would call that. And um, so it also turned into kind of a, a synchronistic symbol to me that um, so even here, just like with the tarot, you can use these things in that way. So it's also because I, let, let's say, simply prefer that symbolism. We cannot talk about why. Initially, it was intuitive. You know, there's all this root chakra idea, uh, existence-based ideas, also the whole scholarship idea, which is also associated with Ganesh as a scribe and so on, but mainly this garden of the threshold concept. So this whole idea about 
sitting at the border or being able to look into both worlds at the same time. And then also, if we go further into symbolism, at least one interpretation is that Ganesh also has uh, uh, Shiva's trident on its forehead. And uh, then from there is only one dot, or even I believe in the Om symbolism, which also represents Ganesh, there is a dot. And then so whatever uh, aesthetics you have, you have this dot, which is then always the reminder of the unity, which is kind of the underlying idea of of the symbolism also uh, to me. So that would be the answer specifically uh, in terms of Ganesh. It's funny to me because, I mean, not funny what you just said. That was good. Thank you. Um, it's funny to me that I think ultimately what we're finding ourselves in zeitgeist wise at the moment is we are, we are inheritors. Um, it seems academic, uh, academia as such philosophy, if you want to put it that way, it comes up with ideas and it posits them and it takes a little while for them to trickle into the culture and become actually imbibed and lived things. So postmodernism was an idea, deconstruction um, and recontextualization of the text and, and basically what we're talking about, like, oh, like when we say new age, it seems like this hodgepodge chimera kind of thing of all these various you know culture groups whether it's odin and ganesh or thoth and all these kinds of things all have these kinds of resonant frequencies but they're coming from different petri dishes of articulation through history um we're kind of at a point it seems and i could be wrong but we're actually postmodern. i think in a way that's kind of what the meme is showing that's kind of what the internet is showing where um we have the ability to t transcend the intention of the author originally, whatever the fucking author wanted in the Bible or or the whole epics of uh, the Norwegians or India or any of these things, um, we're kind of putting that to the side largely, at least the youth and younger-minded people, maybe not uh, old guard people particularly, but the new guard of thought is essentially a postmodern, um, like we are postmodern, whereas some people would say, the, oh, postmodern was an idea and it kind of came up in the 60s and it died. It's like, no, that was when it was kicked around intellectually and existentialism and all this stuff was kicked around ex, um, in circles of academia. But when you get to things like movies like The Matrix or movies like Ready Player One or movies or, or whatever, it doesn't really matter. These are cultural artifacts that are starting to actually reflect where we are as a collective. Um, what food are we willing to eat and able to eat now kind of thing. Um so it's funny to me because on the one hand, I don't think you prescribe necessarily to a vision of what Ganesh means in terms of what maybe the original, like whatever 2000, you know, ancient Indians probably maybe thought of it differently than what we're trying to do, but that doesn't make it wrong. We're kind of doing what we can do given the fact of perspicuity. Like we're able to have different perspectives on things necessarily because we've unhinged from the modern, the modernist kind of model of, there's one answer, you know, A plus B, linear, um, look for the most effective thing. Not that that isn't good, but we've kind of, we kind of, I think, realized that um, it's open source. It's not like coding is different than what we were led to believe by the powers that be for so long. At this point, it's much more, um, I mean, Shakespeare might be an early postmodern, but it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So it's like what you're perceiving and apprehending experientially from the self is more important than any hearsay or... Um, accolade or or uh, banishment or whatever from social groups, though it seems for a long time there was an, there were material reasons maybe for 
uh, doing that. The internet and everything, psychedelics, all these kinds of things have created such a new space um, for, maybe not new, but uh, we're accessing a different kind of uh, vibratory element where we can try to look at the tools around us and pick up what makes the most sense from a variety of cultures and maybe not try to come to one truth as such, but like just just be able to articulate it a little more decently. I mean, there was a philosopher named Wittgenstein where somebody was like, what's true? And he said, well, it's true enough, right? Like there's true enough. And I think we're never going to maybe understand truth fully. Maybe that's a post humus post death thing i'm not sure that's a hope as a christian that i come into more understanding in that sense um but it seems that we're getting as close to truth as we can we're true enough for the times and it's uh, it's cool that we're kind of amalgamate um beings now and it's uh the the pandora's box is open in that we can allude to so many other algorithms of understanding and try to create a new source code for ourselves Yes, I would agree. However, uh, I would also say that this very much, this also somewhat includes the idea of discernment. So it's not just that now, of course, you can randomly put together whatever you like. However, it's also for me, at least very much about, um, well, kind of really taking a good look at these different stories, seeing the analogies. And then this almost puts me back into like a Christian position um be, being able to discern and also being willing to make a choice as ra would call it then choose negative or positive uh, polarization I'm not even saying that that's how it has to be for everyone this is just a model that seems uh, quite uh, relevant uh, to me so kind of harping on that a little i on the law of one it was talking essentially about um at one point and i can look for it in a second if i need to but basically it was saying um we're being by free will we're either choosing things for ourselves or choosing things for the collective or something to that effect um do you uh, and it seems that like like we were saying earlier with the toroid and polarity like for for there to be any of the existence between the magnets you have to have the poles of the magnet happening and that's like the magic is in the middle kind of and that's where we're experiencing the, the dynamic tension and release of all this uh kind of fluid polarity or however you're going to put that um do you want to talk a little about what you see as um i mean i'm i've what tends to happen is i get to a point and then i, I start thinking in terms of good and evil um but then even in within the biblical text in the thing of um in the book of job which is probably the oldest story in the bible it was a jewish story it's not i mean it's like probably older than genesis kind of thing or not genesis but how the Bible was put together is kind of a funny idea and story, but basically uh, there's old stories, right? And Jewish stories and whatever kind of things they had to tell themselves to create in the social identity we have now as, you know, the Torah and the old Testament and all that jazz. Um, anyway, in the book of Job, it, the idea is like, there are hierarchical powers. Like there is this kind of negative force called Satan or whatever in the heavens. And he's kind of the, the Snape, if you will, of the heavens or whatever, like Harry Potter style. And he's going to God and saying, hey, if you do this, that, the other, fuck this guy over, he's not going to love you. Um, the story isn't really what I'm getting at. I guess the point is it's showing uh, at one point it says God is the author. I mean, God, good and evil come from God. Like all this stuff is coming through source in a way. 
Um, how do you handle the idea of evil and good? And how do you find, um, I mean, it seems that we're more attracted naturally towards trying to trying to unify things and maybe go to a concrescence of unity as opposed to individualism. But clearly we're individuals with individual motives and all that jazz. How do you kind of wade through these waters yourself? So, yeah, just as you mentioned, the idea would be, as you mentioned earlier, everything is divine grace ultimately. Everything comes from source or maybe even more specifically, everything is created within the one. So it's actually happening within source itself. And if, whether through intuition, any type of states of consciousness or logic, one can relate to that level or to that feeling, to me personally, in actuality, in any meditation or any other practice I may be doing or dancing or whatever, that is actually the whole point. Because that on one level is a flow state and on the other level, it kind of allows to the ultimate relief of everything. Because if you can really imagine that everything ultimately is just one and everything is being played out within that one, then it is all truly just neutral experience. It's all just for the art, for the aesthetics of whatever anyone may want to play. And even though for me individually, I have very strong preferences, which may in many ways go against common morality, in many ways may exceed common morality or put different um, conditions or preferences on it. Um, ultimately, this idea that all is source and all is one assists me in validating everything and then also helps me to see everything is neutral. And as Bashardin always says, once you can own everything and see everything is neutral, everything is part of yourself, everything just as a neutral prop within the one creator, then you are free to move within that space. Because as long as there are these ideas of evil and uh, stuff to run away from or to deny or to fight, then you are never truly free in your choice. Because just if you would see it like as on a board, like with magnets or something, and then you put there as a piece of metal, which is magnetic or just attracted to magnets and then you have these different um, magnets on the board laying around which is on the one hand your desires which is the positive magnet and on the other hand your fears which is the negative repulsive stuff but now it's very obvious that as long as i have fears to the degree i have fears i cannot move freely on that board i cannot freely make choices and um, i'm going to be meandering or whatever which is all fine which is all part of the process but this just kind of shows me that as much as possible, I'd like to neutralize that charge, let's say, by understanding my own beliefs and understanding my own fears and so on, owning them and then supplanting them with uh, something neutral or something positive, so that eventually I end up in a board with only positive attraction or almost only positive attraction, if you can uh, get the image I'm trying to convey. Totally get it. It kind of, but while you were saying that, the idea also of a chessboard came up where it's like there's better and worse positionings. <laughs> so sometimes like you can be in checkmate and it's like I don't think that's preferred. Um, but then that gets into the idea of the tension and release of the game and life as a game more. And uh, there, are, in a weird way, there's there's qualitatively better and worse moves in some at some level. Like there's more strategic and less strategic, or more selfish or less selfish. All this kind of thing. Um, but what you're kind of getting at in a weird way, I've heard it kind of through Alan Watts where it's like, 
well, we're God and we forgot it. And we're just trying to tell the most interesting story possible. And that includes tension for stories to develop. Like a, a good story involves elements of tension and release. Uh, good music involves elements of tension and release. There's something to be said about a drone tone and you can kind of disappear into it and become, you, you know, that's where maybe unified consciousness kicks in and there's an experience there in and of itself. But for whatever reason in this holodeck, we have uh, both inherited genetically or prescribed ourselves through for, through free will or however you want to put them. There's a whole lot of layers here. I'm not sure if it's one, you know, um, reason, if you want to put it that way. There's a lot of kind of dynamics going on. But it seems that we want to tell stories that are entertaining. And for that to happen, there have to be dynamics, basically. Yeah, that's that's precisely right. And if then one can see it as a big play or wonderful analogy, game of chess, this is also the entitlement of a Bashar transmission, actually. Um, you know, then you have different setups, different rules. You could say there are better or worse positions depending on your preference and so on, depending what you're playing, what your goal is in that game and so on, what rules you agree to and all of that jazz. But ultimately, you're not going to lose your head over winning or losing a chess game because you're just going to stand up or you're just going to even keep uh, stay there and just play another game. And it's all good. It's all fine. And that's, for example, how Bashar also describes this level of reality. He says, well, when you transition, which we would com commonly call uh, death or to die, then it's like waking up from a dream. And just as we all know, sometimes we wake up from a dream and whatever may be symbolically interesting, there may be something to glean and to learn from that dream uh, can be somewhat relevant. But ultimately, where whatever level and layer I find myself on then is much more interesting or uh, much more immediately relevant to me. And that dream may even fade quite quickly. And uh, just to provide another perspective on the whole, let's say, heaven and hell thing is that Bashar simply says that on this level, which would then be a higher level of consciousness, let's say a soul level of consciousness, the immediate reflection of yourself in the world is so obvious and so instantaneous that even if you would believe you would be going to hell for whatever reason you may be judging yourself for, ultimately when you end up on that level, it will look like hell for a moment, but very quickly you will realize that your own resonance actually completely constructs and reconstructs that level of reality, that layer. So then you just uh, remind yourself of that and you switch and let's say immediately you're in heaven or wherever you were supposed to go. And to me, this just makes much more sense because much more than thinking of being judged or whatever for whatever we do here, I see it much more as a game. And so it looks very different from the other side. And if one wants to or can connect to that level, it just allows for much more tranquility and serenity also in acting out this life and also potentially even in being more curious more bold or more courageous in a sense simply by understanding through understanding these dynamics or just even more simply just to have more fun right i think that's ultimately a, a very much more empowering position to have where um I mean, my fear is that it's delusional, but I'll, I'll go. I don't think it is. I mean, I don't hold a position, right? I guess the fear would be, oh, this is incorrect, and the hope would be this is correct. Um, it's kind of like the truth of the spider is not the truth of the fly, but clearly they're intermingling on a plane of experience together. 
similarly, pawns do not act the same way as rooks, do not act the same way as bishops, and they all have different kind of parameters. You could look at those as genetics or cultures. So maybe a bishop is like, you know, German culture, and then like a, a rook is like a Canadian culture or whatever. It's like, I think the way in which we're um, incarnated, if you want to put it that way, really does play out at a level. I mean, how attached to the story one gets is I maybe a free will thing. I'm not entirely sure, but this kind of kicks into like multiverse and um, archetypal projections and maybe the extension of these into time space with uh, star seeds and all this kind of stuff. Uh, if you want to touch on this a little, I'm not sure. Um, at the least, I've looked at the whole star seed phenomena and um, the new age movement and kind of externalizing to a galactic level. At the very least, I'm like, we're telling a story, the same stories, but on a higher level now. Whereas before it was like, oh, this is the king of the jungle and these rock gods and this shit. And we're kind of dealing with this terrarium particularly. Now we're in a post-technological age where we know that the sky's the limit, as they say. And we're kind of projecting these stories out. That would be a very materially reductionist kind of view. At most, these are real uh, universes and realities that we're now coming into contact with because we're incubated in such a way as consciousness in human flesh form. Um, to the degree that where we can actually maybe be coming into contact with these higher forms, different dimensionalities, whatever, whatever. Uh, do you want to talk about multiverse and how you maybe see star seeds? I totally do. However, I would say this was a very interesting perspective and summary from your side. And within the linear time space and the programming of this show, we are running out of time. <laughs> Therefore, I would invite you uh, for any closing words you may have. And uh, we're just going to pick up synchronistically next time, wherever we happen to find ourselves. Word. Well, I guess in summary, folks, and I'll be succinct because I want Raphael to have the last word. Um, fucking hold on loosely and enjoy the ride. We are, we are blessed beyond any measure we could comprehend. And I've had nihilistic mode so i think it's not always apparent and easy to remember this but um we at some level have chosen or been allowed to participate in this stage of uh reality and all the world is a stage as it said so i guess try to find um what resonates most with you and uh know thyself i mean that's the maxim try to figure out what you're about and there's going to be different degrees and qualities of that how that looks at different seasons of life depending on different um external and internal factors but if anybody ever wants to talk shoot me a message on facebook my name is jim kincaid on there i do do uh astrology readings and tarot reading tarot readings if you look on facebook at dolphinately jim d-o-l-p-h-i-n-a-t-e-l-y jim um it'll come up uh, I'm doing those for free right now, so holler. And just know that there are others out there, and to find them and to to move forward together, I think, is the key. Radio Pokey.